This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. The country faces a lot of tension, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, possible unrest right now. And when you add to that all the things that are going on in the economy, all the financial wizardry and and manipulation behind the scenes from the Fed, you got to know that inflation is going to start kicking in here at some point, and I'm really concerned about it. But you know that real gold and silver have throughout history maintained value, right? They're a store of value. And right now you can have real gold and silver delivered right to your door or placed in your IRA or 401k tax-free and penalty-free. That's right, real gold and silver in your hands or your retirement accounts. Why should you own real gold and silver? Because they both hold their value, especially when markets decline or fail. Oxford Gold Group is the industry leader in precious metals, offering gold and silver at the lowest prices on the market. It's the company I trust to put gold and silver into both my hands and my IRA. The Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and request your free precious metals investment guide. Call 833-600-GOLD and speak with the Oxford Gold Group today. They'll answer all your questions and send you their precious metals investment guide. The Oxford Gold Group, 833-600-GOLD. There are some on the left who are celebrating right now. There are many who are saying they breathe a sigh of relief. Many Americans, a lot of people had very strong views on the Derek Chauvin case and the death of George Floyd. This became a global phenomenon, in fact. But you would think that after such a a clear and and decisive uh, moment from the system, from our criminal justice system, people who have been saying all along, it's racist, there's no justice, it doesn't work, that, that they would have at least some tone of, satisfaction with this but you'll notice that for the activists in the democrat party for the left for the progressives a term we don't hear as much anymore we really need to because this is what they are trying to progress toward a goal of an identity politics based marxism in america state control socialism and you see this mentality coming up in so many different ways not just in policing and criminal justice, but also with the Green New Deal climate change craziness and with lockdowns and the worship of Fauci as this this government health king that can tell everybody what to do. You see this coming up in so many different ways. And the left did not waste any time after the verdict yesterday showing us all that they view this as merely the first of many times they plan to bring a tremendous pressure campaign together on a criminal justice issue. And I worry that there will be a sense that now riots get the left what it wants. And so going forward, when they don't get what they want, whether it's in a criminal trial or on a political issue, uh, whatever it may be, that they're more likely to say, well, clearly we need to start those riots up again. I mean, here is over at at. um, Uh, First, we'll start with Minnesota's Attorney General Keith Ellison and what he says about this. Play three. That long, hard, painstaking work has culminated today. I would not call today's verdict justice, however. 
because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice. And now the cause of justice is in your hands. And when I say your hands, I mean the hands of the people of the United States. So there we had Keith Ellison saying it's accountability, but it's not justice. Now, I, I want to just start with this could be said of any criminal trial, really, in that there, there is no restoration. Any person who's ever been assaulted, murdered, raped, whether it's for them or for their family, the criminal justice system tries to give some degree. I mean, this goes to the very basis of our system, tries to give some degree of of um, satisfaction to the wronged party. Uh, but it never makes it all better. It doesn't make it all go away. So that's that's always the case. Just putting that out there. But beyond that, uh, the, here's where there's a a big difference. I, I was not I'm not deeply emotionally invested in this trial the way many, many millions of other people were on either side of it. I, I think that this one was and I, I think uh, I haven't really told you exactly what I've what I've felt about this. One is that I have been so honestly busy dealing with the statist Democrats and lockdowns and everything else that I, I followed the trial. At the end of the day, I'd read some transcripts, but I didn't have time to sit through all of the evidence, sit through all of the testimony. I couldn't do it. So I brought on people who were covering it every single day to talk to you about it. But. You know, to me, there was to me, there was there was a, a re, there was reasonable doubt. But the video looks really bad. And, you know, if I'm Officer Chauvin, I, you know, it, it's it's a it was a judgment call, folks. It was this was a close one. This isn't some of the other cases I've seen or some of the other issues we've talked about in a, in a courtroom setting where it's OK. Well, the left is just they're just being crazy. I mean, they're just lying. You know, when when someone runs after a runs up to a cop or pulls a gun on a cop. And the cop shoots him and BLM says, oh, it's murder. And then we have to say, hold on. No, it's not. This wasn't that. But, the, the, you know, you get in. There's so many different layers here. Are all three charges, were they really fairly adjudicated? Did the jury really look at them based on the merits? Or did they just realize we're going to send him away one way or the other? We might as well all protect ourselves and our families by voting for all three counts. You know, voting guilty on all three counts. I think that's a very real possibility. I don't know. I wasn't in that jury room. But but I also I, I look at this and I understand that the, the big issue I have isn't so much with, uh, with with whether Chauvin was guilty on all three or just one. I mean, I always thought the manslaughter charge was going to be a problem for him. I always thought that you got a guy you're holding him down. He's crying out. Uh, you know, uh, you, at some level, we got to have you do have to have accountability for police officers. I mean, the police officer, that woman, um, uh, police officer Potter, who resigned. I mean, she's guilty of manslaughter, allegedly, you know, in a legal sense. But we see the video. I mean, she killed the guy she didn't she shouldn't have and didn't mean to. And she's going to pay a price for that. And so uh, I'm not one of these people that runs around. Oh, everything cops do. No, cops do murder people. Sometimes it happens. It is thankfully incredibly rare, especially given how many violent assaults and attacks cops suffer all the time. There was a guy who just drove in to New York City last weekend and he had Molotov cocktails in his car and he's told police he, he threw bleach in the face of an officer and he was going to drive around looking for officers to throw Molotov cocktails at. I mean, this barely even got a, a mention in the national media, if anything. 
was covered here locally in New York, but these are the kind of things that law enforcement have to put up with. And so given those circumstances, given the weight of judgment that's put on their shoulders, I give them a lot of leeway. That doesn't mean everything that cops do is justified, legal, or legitimate. It doesn't mean that I don't think they should suffer the consequences. But here's where the big divide in many ways now happens. Here's where you have to recognize there's, there's a huge separation in perception. The activists, the left, all the people who are saying, see, George Floyd was killed by Chauvin. Chauvin's a murderer, period. Therefore, what we say about cops is true. Cops are racist. We need massive police reform. We need you know communities of color to feel like they're not constantly under siege from law enforcement, acting like uh, racist thugs and all. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's where I say, well, hold on a second. That one does not follow the other here. One one cop in one incident. And like I said, I'm, I'm not even getting into, you know, Chauvin. I, I, I think that if this jury had felt that there was reasonable doubt, I could see I can see that as entirely reasonable under the circumstances. But I also could see it's a close. It was a close call with that manslaughter charge, in my opinion. In my opinion, I know a lot of you are going to disagree with that. That's fine. I don't think it was a close call with the the murder charges, although you look at the Minnesota state statutes and, you know, it's it's very you can unintentionally murder somebody. It's very you have to get pretty deep in the weeds on it. But I don't think that he I, I, I believe very strongly that that Derek Chauvin had no intention of murdering George Floyd. That I am quite certain of. Is he criminally culpable for not providing aid soon enough to George Floyd while he was in police custody under the circumstances? This is where you get into, did he die of an overdose or did he die? And, you know, you've got conflicting medical expert testimony on this. You've got people looking at the toxicology reports coming out with different examples. So there's or a different analysis. So there's a, you know, this, this is a... a a really intricate case when you look at the culpability and everything else. This is not an, this was not an open and shut, not an easy one to decide at all levels, in my in my opinion. Um, but I know that I'm not responsible for what Derek Chauvin did. You're not responsible. Nobody is responsible for what Derek Chauvin did except for him. And this is where the left is going to push very hard. This is the point on which they will put a tremendous emphasis now. They want to to use this as a symbol to influence law enforcement, to influence policy and the national conversation about criminal justice and, and racial justice all across the country. And I sit here and say, this is one cop out of out of almost literally a million. And now he is facing a long prison term for this. And, you know, there are going to be bad things that happen when you have law enforcement dealing with a country of 330 million people. We're, we're never going to have perfect law enforcement. So why are we using this incident? In what way is this incident showing us what the system does versus what Derek Chauvin does? This is where there's so much debate. This is where there's going to be so much focus because the narrative is that Chauvin wasn't an outlier acting on his own and and one man committing what is now uh, murder, uh, as our courts have found. No, the narrative is 
there are many chauvins out there. The narrative is there are so many cops who are actually have a depraved who actually have a depraved heart and who are racist and who kill young minority men and get away with it and no one cares and no one makes any issue of it and that narrative is not true. It's destructive. It hurts this country. It makes us less safe. It is a lie. And it is unfortunately repeated endlessly by the BLM movement. The first BLM martyr, so to speak, the first BLM case they rallied around was Michael Brown. The left and the Black Lives Matter movement incessantly lied about that case and misrepresented that case. And they've done it in many other cases. Now here with with the Chauvin trial, it wasn't a it's not an issue of misrepresentation per se of of this case it's an issue of is this case representative of law enforcement in general and and the state of race relations in this country right now in general i say no and i say we push back against this untruth but the left will fight furiously on it because they want to translate this one case into power so no this verdict is not justice frankly i don't even think we call it full accountability because there are multiple officers that were there it wasn't just just derek chauvin and i also don't want this moment to be framed as this system working working because it's not working and that's what creates a lot of complexity in this moment. This is the system not working. Perhaps the intellectual and spiritual leader of the uh, younger wing of the Democrat Party today says this is the system not working. The Chauvin verdict. So, someone explain that to me or rather, perhaps I'll explain it now because I know what she's trying to get at. This is the system not working. Um, so what would a not guilty verdict have been? The system operating like a you know finely tuned uh, machine? I don't think so. There would have been riots. We all know that. And I'm thankful that so far there really haven't been the riots that thought that were thought imminent. So at least that I mean that is a good thing. Although it's sad that this country is in a place where the expectation is that there could be widespread riots based on one jury trial verdict. We should not be in that place as a country. That's, that's just not who we are, but that's the circumstance in which we find ourselves right now. But let's get to what AOC is saying here. This is not justice. Well, there's, as I said to you before, there's a case we made that no murder trial can ever really get someone justice. A person is dead. And if a person is killed without justification, there's no bringing them back. So there is no justice. So let's just start there. So you can just say that there's really no such thing as a justice system then. And, and I know that sounds so radical, but it also starts to line up with what the left really believes. They're not looking to reform these systems. They're looking to tear them down. They're looking to destroy them. There's a radicalism. There's, there's an impulse for massive change that's at the heart of so much of this. When it benefits them in the short term, politically or their power, 
they'll say, oh, no, we want we like this system. We'll protect this system. But the moment that it doesn't give them the desired result, they're willing to tear the whole thing down. We've seen that with everything they've said since the transfer of power from Trump to Biden. But it goes even beyond that. It's it's even more than just the hypocrisy of protecting our sacred institutions of democracy when Trump is in charge of them, at least at the executive branch, versus now completely abusing and transforming them when they're in power, right? That there's something even more than that. There's just a desire at the heart of this to tear it down. Just tear it all down, you know? And it just reminds me of the rhetoric of, of Occupy Wall Street and, and leftists and, and Marxist revolutionaries all throughout history. Just just burn it down, tear it all down. And replace it with what? Listen to the things they say about law enforcement. Listen to the commentary they give on, on police and policing in the country. Uh, abolish police? Are, are they serious? Can you imagine a, a, a more idiotic suggestion than this? But no, they, they keep saying, reimagine policing. Well, reimagine it with, with what? They, sh- they should be able to explain to us what we are reimagining it with. And yet there's just this desire to express rage here. And now you have to understand that because they can't point it directly at the system in quite the way that they would have if this had been a not guilty verdict, it goes on to we are, you know, we as a society are guilty of what Derek Chauvin did. This is the this is the thinking that became prevalent among Marxist radicals and 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 academics and journalists on the left in the 60s and 70s about crime in general. Crime was a societal dysfunction. We were all at some level uh, the, the basis of or, or the, the wellspring of all criminal activity that society creates criminals. Individuals don't make criminal decisions. And that influenced the way we did law enforcement and that influenced the way we did incarceration and now, that makes people feel good, right? Because if no one's responsible for their criminal actions, if society is, it's redistribution, in a sense. It's a kind of moral Marxism, right? You're redistributing the guilt to all of society. And then the state has power over those people because if you're all guilty, the state has the right to take action over all of you. And then these policies that follow are going to make Criminals suffer less and the general population suffer more, more crime, less freedom and a, a government apparatus that is dedicated to the perpetuation of that circumstance. That's what American cities were like in the in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And there really is a movement now to take us back to that, that the, the Democrat, the progressive left has gotten so far with their agenda that we're actually circling back to what they wanted 50, 50 years ago for law enforcement and major cities across the country. You know, I know we have a lot of small business owners who listen to this show or people, people who are running their own business or a company that they've started. And I'm, I'm hopeful that despite everything in the Biden administration, this is going to be a big year for small business. And I think it can be, right? I, I think that you know, small business has that local focus and you, and you create that community of people that know what you're doing, support what you're doing, 
and and use your products or your services. Uh, but I want to make it easier for you too and help you with HR because I know that can be such a headache. In fact, when you're running a business, HR issues can kill you. I mean, you got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, all these questions that come up too, like can I dock an exempt employee's pay? Uh, how do I know if I have to follow any new employment law changes? How do I approve a leave of absence? I mean, I've been in business in many ways for years, and I have no idea how to do this stuff, right? But you don't want to have to pay somebody up to $70,000 a year. That's what an HR manager is going to cost you as a full-time employee. It's about, on average, what it costs. So you can get a dedicated HR manager from Bambi. That's B-A-M-B-E-E, created specifically for small business. And from onboarding to terminations, Bambi's HR manager will customize your policies to fit your business. They're available by phone, email, or real-time chat, and they can help you manage your employees day-to-day. And here's the amazing part, $99 a month, okay? Just $99 a month. No hidden fees, cancel anytime. And this is a month-to-month situation. So try them out. See how well it works for you. See how much this cuts down on headaches and paperwork. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash buck. One more time, all the folks out there with uh, with small businesses, this is for you. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. In order to get a nominal degree of justice in this country, that a black man has to be murdered on air viewed by the entire world, there have to be a year's worth of protests and a phalanx of other white police officers to tell one white officer that he was wrong in order to get one scintilla of justice. That doesn't make me feel happy. That doesn't make me feel satisfied. It makes me worry about what's going to happen when these other officers are held on trial. It makes me upset all the more that we didn't have this for Breonna Taylor. It makes me concerned about what's going to happen in a trial for Ahmaud Arbery. So... No, I I mean, this is not the system working. This is a makeup call. This is the justice system trying to say that, hey, this is one bad apple, because that's how this is going to be interpreted. It's going to be this one bad apple. He got in trouble. Yay, blah, blah, blah. And yet there's still going to be young black men and women across this country being shot today, tomorrow and two weeks from now, because unless we have some radical reform, there's no lesson learned. Radical reform. That was a MSNBC commentator, Jason Johnson. Radical reform. Okay. Let's just put aside for a second, and, and, and I, it's not helpful right now to get into whether you think they overcharged Chauvin, whether you think Chauvin had reasonable doubt on his side, whether you think that you know, the, the, the verdict is the verdict right now. OK, so let's let's deal with where we are currently. What does that radical reform look like? What does that mean? You're already starting to hear uh, all the politicians saying this, but uh, the Democrat politicians, at least. But what is it really going to mean? What, what is this going to, to turn into? And why are there so many people who are inflating this one incident to be representative of law enforcement in general? That is slander. It's not true. And we have to hold the line on the truth here. It is not true that this is who law enforcement is. I worked with law enforcement at the NYPD, up close and personal. I was helping them with counterterrorism cases, as you know. I was essentially a contract civilian bringing 
counterterror expertise to the largest police department in America. But I was working side by side, day in and day out, doing surveillance, uh, running informants, dealing dealing with the the NYPD, with detectives and sergeants of the NYPD every day for 18 months. And first of all, it's a very diverse department. So that often I think gets left out of this conversation that a lot a lot of our courageous, diligent public uh, public uh, public servants in law enforcement and public officials uh, are minorities, right? That there are so many excellent black and Latino uh, cops all across the country working in state and local FBI, you name it. And and they're they're all maligned by this kind of rhetoric as well. They're, they're all attacked in the same way. What they're they're part of this racist system. They're just doing racism all the time, but they don't even know it. Is that what we're supposed to believe? I'm sorry. I I, I reject this assessment by the left. I, I reject their claims. And the the uh, thing that Jason Johnson here says about, it, you know, another another uh, black black men and women will be killed tomorrow. And the next day, the next day, the next day, the police. That is not what the statistics actually show us. There are also white people and other races who are being killed by cops. It happens. We live in a society. I mean, the, there, there's almost a, a, uh, a, a maniacal fixation on police-involved shootings by the left that is the whole thing is based upon inflation of the actual t- statistics, but they know it's such a powerful it's such a powerful emotional pull that the more they can talk about it, the more they can get people all riled up, and then they mobilize them, and then they have a base of power, and then they have people that feel self-righteous about law enforcement. It just keeps going and going. 330 million people in America, 2019, 13 unarmed black men shot by police. Those are tragedies. We deal with them. But here's just an example of what I mean by the proportionality fallacy that is that is often at, at work here, right? By by not treating an incident that's an outlier as such, but as representative of the whole. There was tremendous outrage at Donald Trump on on the left when he talked about uh, that there are some people who come to America as illegal immigrants and they do bad things. They kill people, they rape people. And that is true. Now, I also know the numbers and that it's we're talking about less than one percent of illegal immigrants who come to America who join MS-13 and, you know, chop people up with machetes and stuff. But they do it. And and it, and even to bring it up, though, even to address this, because the argument from anti-illegal immigration people is the number should really be zero because there shouldn't be any illegal immigrants coming in year in and year out in the first place. So in that sense, they're arguing that it really should be effectively nothing because there shouldn't be any illegal immigrants coming into the country Come up, but the moment you point out that an illegal immigrant would have committed a violent crime, the the left immediately says, "How dare you? That's not representative. That's not that's not true. That's not fair." And we say, "Well, hold on. What about somebody that should have been deported three or four times and then commits a rape? Isn't that a failure of the state?" They say, "Oh, that's not true. That's not representative." But you see, there are far more cases that you can point to of of illegal immigrants committing violent crimes in this country uh, or or drunk driving that results in a, in a homicide, a manslaughter, far more of those than you will find truly 
unlawful, murderous killings of minorities by law enforcement year in and year out right now. But one of them is treated like it is representative of the whole. The other, you are not even allowed to talk about it. Right? If if left wants to just argue about how well that's just a small minority of illegal immigrants, and that that's that's a fair argument to make. And but we can still talk about okay, well, you know that the guy, for example, who shot the gun, who killed the woman in San Francisco, who had been deported seven times, that feels like a failure of the state when you've been deported seven times and you still end up killing an American citizen. But what they say is you're not even allowed to talk about it at all. So the incidents aren't it's as though they are wiped away from the record entirely. And you have so much of this 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 uh, lack of good faith and fair mindedness about law enforcement coming to the forefront with this. And they say, oh, Derek Chauvin. I mean, how, how many how many days do you go in, in American law enforcement without a case like this, and yet they talk about it like it's going to happen every day. Now, I know there is already, and the timing of, you know, we recently had the, uh, we had the shooting of the of that young man in Minnesota, which was, you know, an accidental lethal force escalation, and that cop, I, I have never defended what she did. I've never said anything other than it was a tragic action accident, and she should be held uh, accountable for it. But now you have another incident, and the timing is highly unfortunate, in Columbus, Ohio, involving an officer, with an officer-involved shooting. Let's, let's get to this now and talk about it, because you know the left is already seizing on this and saying, that the, here, here's what you hear from the media. 16-year-old girl shot, and 16-year-old girl, right, not, not even at, at the... Uh, you know, age of 18, not yet a legal adult, shot and killed by cops. Young black girl shot and killed by cops. That is the headline. I want to get into what the details are of this incident before people start rioting and the mobs are out in the streets and saying, see, the cops are racist. Let's actually look at what happened here. We'll do that in just a second. There can never be any safe harbor for hate in America. You've said it many times. The battle for soul of this nation has been a constant push and pull for more than 240 years. A tug of war between the American ideal that we're all created equal and the harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. At our best, the American ideal wins out. So we can't leave this moment or look away thinking our work is done. We have to look at it. We have to we have to look as, as we did for those nine minutes and 29 seconds, we have to listen. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Those are George Floyd's last words. We can't let those words die with him. We have to keep hearing those words. We must not turn away. We can't turn away. We have a chance to begin to change the trajectory in this country. It's my hope and prayer that we live up to the legacy. What is Joe Biden really saying? I know there was a lot of stuff. I know there were a lot of words there about the importance of this moment and living up and justice and uh, all the things that he says. Okay, so what does he want us to do now? We have a justice system. We have one. We have one cop who's being held accountable now for murder. He is facing. He's his life is ruined, and he's probably going to spend the rest of his of his you know productive years and probably the rest of his natural life in prison. 
What, what, what does Joe Biden think now we're supposed to do? What, what is the great change that is supposed to happen? Because the way that the Democrats talk about it, the suggestion of all this rhetoric, the, the insinuation of the rhetoric is that there are some people standing saying, no, we don't want to conquer racism. No, we don't want to have law enforcement treat people with equality and dignity. No one says that. I mean, there's no movement. Of course, there's always lunatics who will say anything. But there, there is no political force or body in America who, who is supportive of racist or excessive force using cops. Everybody, look, we are Americans. We, all, we just want to get along with each other and live our lives and be in a great country and, you know, treat each other well. I mean, that's actually who we are. We are not this racist country that Democrats keep insisting we are. We are not racists as individuals because there is a collectively racist past in this country. That's not how it works. You are responsible for what you do. You are responsible for who you are as a person. That is it. No matter what color you are, your skin color is irrelevant to, has no impact one way or the, or the other on your character or anything else about who you are as a person. Right? You are who you are and what you do. Your decency, your virtue, your actions. And I, I refuse to let the cultural Marxists and the Democrat Party pretend that whatever narrative they conjure up is somehow determining who you or I actually amount to as people or anyone else listening to this, anyone else that has to be put through these Biden speeches. I mean, so then that brings me to this incident in, because here we are, it's, we just had the Chauvin trial, now we have another police-involved lethal shooting in Columbus, Ohio. And you have a, a video in which a young, a young woman, 16-year-old Makia Bryant, is shot and killed by police. It's awful. It's a tragedy. Also, based on what we're seeing, it is a justified use of force under the situation. And it is quite clearly so. We have body cam footage that is released. This was from Columbus, Ohio. We have a 16-year-old girl. There's a fight, and you have girls fighting on the street, and you have a girl who is very clear, pulls out a knife in broad daylight, and is moving on video in close quarters to stab another girl, another young girl that she is having a fight with. And I'm sorry, I, I know that the media likes to do this thing where they put family members on TV. I, I have sympathy for grieving family members. What family members say about an incident like this is not actually determinative of what happened. And I know this. I, I am loyal to my family to a fault. I would do anything to protect my family. And I would back up any of my family members legally in whatever way I could. And, you know, I'm, I'm always going to take their side. And I respect personal loyalty, as you know. I respect personal loyalty in my work. I respect it in my day-to-day -day life. I think loyalty is, you know, what separates us from from being barbarians. I think personal loyalty is essential. So, of course, parents, a, a grieving parent is going to say, um, you know, my daughter, she was a beautiful, gentle soul, and they're allowed to say this, and I, I don't dispute this, and, you know, parents, it's what a horrible thing for a parent to go through to lose a child. 
But the media presents this as though the narrative of grieving parents is fact. Whereas in this case, we have body cam footage and you have a girl who it is absolutely crystal clear in the video is armed with a knife at close quarters and is a second away from possibly stabbing another young girl to death in broad daylight in front of a police officer. And she is shot. This is textbook legal use of force for a police officer. If a cop cannot draw and use his or her weapon when a person is engaged in a violent felony and attempted murder in broad daylight 10 feet away from them, then police do not actually have the right to defend themselves or you with force. Now, I believe in this case, the footage is so clear that it will be hard for Black Lives Matter to turn this into another, you know, another use of force incident based in racism and the evil system and everything else. I'm telling you this right now. Any cop based on his or her training in this country, in this circumstance, would have and, and should have deployed lethal force to stop this from happening. You cannot watch someone get stabbed to death because there's a narrative out there about unjust police officers. I'm sorry. Any human being armed in this circumstance, he's yelling, put it down, put it down, put it down. The knife is in the hand. Another young girl. Does that other young girl have a right to live? Or does she have to feel a blade plunged into her over and over, killing her in broad daylight in front of a police officer? That was the choice the cop had. And you see that already BLM just views this. The Democrat Party views this as an opportunity to push the narrative. The facts be damned. The facts here are clear enough. The horrible judgment here was on the part of a young girl. I know she's only 16, but you cannot assault somebody with a lethal weapon and try to kill them in front of a police officer. The criminal culpability, the moral culpability here lies not with the officer, but with the young woman who paid for it with her life. It is a tragedy, but this is, this is not police excessive force. A lot of economic uncertainty out there right now, but you know, the stock market's actually doing pretty well. And it could be inflation, fears from the Fed that are getting you down. It could be a lot of things. But I want you to approach this with clarity right now and know that even in a choppy economic situation, even in difficult times, you can make money in the stock market, but you got to know who to go with. If you're like me, I'm trading pretty actively. I'm not quite a day trader, but I'm investing and I'm checking every day. And, you know, I had a, I had a good year last year. But I'm having a better year this year because of my friends at Carnivore Trading. All right. They've spotted some key indicators that they think means big profits are going to be coming. But Wall Street experts are going to miss a lot of it. That's why Carnivore Trading is for you. They're an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And all you do is subscribe to Carnivore. It's a very minimal fee month to month. And you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades. So Carnivore tells you, hey, you know, you've got your, your E-Trade account or your Vanguard or your T, you know, TD Ameritrade, whatever it is you're using as your trading platform. Carnivore's going to send you text messages. We're going in on this trade. Get in on this. 
It's all transparent. You go on their site, you see what they're doing, and they're just trying to make you money, and their track record speaks for itself. You can mirror their trades with whatever broker you use or just wait to one that you really believe in. But once you see the way that they do, I think you're going to realize that you should get in on the carnivore trades. They guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription. That's right. Five times your monthly subscription or double your money back just by mirroring their trades. So you don't have really anything to lose here in the sense that they're going to get you back your money from your subscription service. And you got a lot to gain if you make a lot on these trades that they're going to put out there for you. The market looks to be on the verge of a huge upswing. Get off the sidelines and get in on carnivores trades. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com. That's right. The website is GetOurTrades.com. And use promo code BUCK. GetOurTrades.com. Promo code BUCK. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Well, it was an important step forward. And it lays the foundation, hopefully, for the Congress to come together, act decisively, uh, to create a greater level of accountability and justice and police reform here in America. When we all saw that video, members of Congress saw it, America saw it, the world saw it, I think it was obvious to everyone that this was, this was a murder that took place in cold blood. Thankfully, there's been confirmation. There's no joy in that confirmation. I think there is relief here on Capitol Hill, uh, but we've got to to turn the actions of those who stood up, who spoke up, who showed up across America, young Americans in particular of every race, who wanted both justice in the case of George Floyd, and we've got justice, but also want change that is sustainable and transformational. And that's our next task that perhaps is the most important task that we can undertake at this moment. Now, the Justice Department has already announced, according to the New York Times here, a broad investigation of Minneapolis. What do you think they're going to find? What do you think they're going to find? They're going to look into this and they're going to say, well, uh, they're, they're going to find, and the DOJ, I'm sure they'll turn over everything, look into everything. They'll say, oh, well, here's a an insensitive meme that was shared from one law enforcement officer to another or here's the disparity in in speeding tickets that were given out or you know they're going to look at all these these issues they're going to put they're going to put the Minneapolis Police Department under the microscope because they're pretending this means they're going to have a non-racist police force when this is all done or a much less racist police force think about what the real ramifications of this will be um Think about how this is going to how this is going to play out. First of all, as we know, um, there are there are laws for which there's a disparate impact on the minority community in this country in many, many places all across the country. Uh, For example, it has long been known that the the uh, war on drugs and the criminalization of possession and sale of different substances has had an outsized impact on the, the black community in America. Now, there are plenty of white people who get uh, sent away for the same sent away for those crimes, too. And people get lengthy sentences for trafficking. That happens as well. But it has a disproportionate impact on the black community. Is is that to say, then, that if they find this is true in Minneapolis, is that evidence of racism? 
there are a disproportionate number of shootings in major cities that involve members of the black and Latino community. So when they look into these numbers, when they look at prosecutions and arrests for serious violent crimes, when there's a disproportionate number, again, not uh, not by any means exclusive to any group, but when there's a disproportionate number, is that evidence of a racist police force or are the police just responding to whomever is committing certain crimes without respect to what group they happen to come from? You know, this is where you start to get at some very central questions about our criminal justice system. What is going to be used as evidence of racism in the Minneapolis Police Department? Remember when they did this after they did this after the Mike Brown case in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, essentially a suburb of St. Louis, very similar in a way to uh, where the recent shooting was in Brooklyn Center, which is really a suburb of Minneapolis. Right? These are areas where we're talking about these places that are really extensions of the city is what I'm trying to say. So in, in Ferguson, which is really St. Louis uh, or next door to St. Louis, they had this they had the the Mike Brown case. And then they, they put this whole DOJ investigation together. You know, Eric Holder's DOJ and the Obama administration. They looked for everything they could find. And they they had this report about, you know, so the structural racism of fines for more minor offenses and who can pay and everything else. Do you think that do you think that Ferguson has gotten safer since then? Do you think more people have signed up for the police department? You you think more individuals are saying, you know what? I want to put my life on the line for a police department uh, that has that that is, is given oversight by politicians who will feed me to the lions, so to speak, the moment that the politics demand it. Do you think that's going to really increase recruitment? And also, what kind of recruits are you getting? What kind of recruits are you getting? I mean, can you imagine you're this this officer in Ohio, and now this has become a national news story. Officer, white officer shoots sixteen year old black girl is the story that's being presented, and and that is those are true facts of the story. Comma, there's also the fact that she was trying to stab to death another young black girl right in front of the police officer on video, and we can all see it. We're supposed to wait till the knife goes into the girl's throat before the cop can do something about it. Now, I ask you these questions and you and I, if you listen to this show, there's a there's an understanding. I mean, you, you are a, a discerning person who wants to be informed and likes truth. And I say that I'm, I'm being 100 percent serious. If you listen to the show, you're already making an affirmative decision that that you like the truth. You want to know what's real. Um, but just because I say things like, do we have to wait until. The, the person has actually stabbed this innocent girl or this girl that she's in a fight with the first time, the second time, you would say, well, of course, Buck's point is made. There are there are Democrats out there who would say, well, maybe it wasn't going to be a lethal stab. Maybe she was going to stop at the last moment. You don't know. Essentially arguing that lethal use of force for law enforcement is always excessive and to be questioned. You know, that that cops that a cop has to die before a cop could use lethal force or somebody else has to die. An innocent person has to die before lethal force can be used on an aggressor. And I, I know that sounds like lunacy because it is, but there are people who believe it. There are people who believe this stuff. And and they say it and they make demands about it. And they're now going to have this big DOJ investigation of Minneapolis. Minneapolis has had a huge spike in crime in the last year. Minneapolis had a police department burned to the ground. 
I mean, I asked the, the current and retired law enforcement officers that listen to this show. Would you want to be a cop in Minneapolis right now? Whether you're white, black, Asian, Latino or anything else, would you want to be a cop in Minneapolis? I wouldn't. If I, you know, I have I have an uncle who's who is uh, now retired. He's retired LAPD and was also Savannah, uh, Savannah, Georgia PD before that. And and he he was a he was a patrolman, a beat cop, basically his whole career. Never wanted to take the uh, the test to uh, to go. And he just he liked being on the street. He thought that's what cop that's what being a cop was. If, if I were having a conversation with him. And he was saying, you know, I want to come out of retirement. I'm going to go. I'd say go to Minneapolis, be a cop. You're crazy. Deal with that right now. I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't want to do it. But so my, my opinion is also informed by on all these things, having somebody who's who's a family member that I know well, that I grew up with, who joined law enforcement because he wanted to protect people and make them feel safe. That was why he became a cop. That's why my uncle was a cop. You know, spent his whole career, his whole life. And I'm going to tell you, my grandparents on that side, they were they were pretty well off. I mean, he went to he went to, you know, he went to fancy school. I know there are lots of cops who go to you know elite schools. That happens all the time. But, you know, he could have done anything. He wanted to be a cop like so many of you because he wanted to protect people and make them safe and contribute to his community. That's why people become law enforcement officers. I mean, if you just want to make. You know, if you just want to make money, become a tugboat captain. Those guys crush it. You know, I mean, you know, they really do. They make like two hundred fifty grand a year. I think more than that. You know, there are there are other ways. If you just want to show up to a job, there are other ways to to make a living where you don't have people trying to stab you with rusty screwdrivers or slap you with uh, with frying pans when you're not looking during a domestic dispute, right? But right now, the politics of it are that it's beneficial to some to slander and undermine law enforcement. And so that's what gets done. And it just makes me sad. What are the reforms that they really want? They keep talking about radical reform, too. If I say I want radical reform of the school system, I could actually, which I do when I talk about the the, uh, public school system. Oh, I can tell you what I want. I want school choice. I want vouchers. I want parents to have full decision making over where they're going to go. And these days, I would even probably argue for the, the abolition of the Department of Education. And there's there's a but oh, oh, we're going to talk radical. I'll talk to you radical and I'll defend all these different positions. So so in a sense, I, I know what it is to have radical beliefs based on where the system is now. And I, I got all kinds of ideas about the educational system, the public school system in this country and and what kind of curriculum that people are being taught and what standards needs to be, need to be, and how we need a, a free market for the dollars that are allocated to teaching by having vouchers for parents and being able to pick the schools. And Oh, man, we can go into this all day. When you talk about law enforcement radical reform, when you hear the Democrats discuss law enforcement radical reform, it's a lot of rhetoric. You know, we're going to get rid of, we're going to confront our racist past, we're going to get rid of, okay, how? And the how is the question that they have the most trouble with, because when they either don't have answers or they start to say things that have you turn around and say, that's that sounds crazy to me. Abolish police. Defund police. Do they want to make police better or do they want to eliminate cops? They're not even sure about that. 
But let's put them in control. Let's put the Democrat left Marxists in control of law enforcement in America. That's going to work out really well.